Today's swap in number is 892. That's the number of planned CQT move-ups from August and September to June of this year. As you can imagine, this will have a definite impact on flying for the month. So on today's show, we spoke with SRC Chair Scott Plyler, member Dan O'Connor, and Analyst Manager Megan Nealon about how the schedule might be affected and what pilots should be expecting going into the busy summer months. I'm Amy Robinson. And I'm Kurt Heideman. And here's our interview with Scott, Dan, and Megan. You guys recently posted a blog available on swapa.org and it talked about the problems we expect in June. Can you give the listeners a little bit of a background on what those exact problems might be? Well, the gist of the blog is that we're going to have uh, a lot of excess open time and that the pilots that are available to cover that open time are going to be lower uh, than they should be. We, we certainly have enough pilots to man the schedule, but um, we had over almost 900 pilots moved up for CQT. We also have a lot of pilots in training for uh, upgrade uh, and all of their lines are being pulled. Um, so we have a lot of excess uh, trips to be covered. Normally that wouldn't be a problem because uh, we have blank lines, but because there is so much uncovered flying, um, the blank lines are high, which made the hard lines really, really dense. And so there aren't that many pilots that are legal to be picking up over the summer as there normally would be. So we're relying on voluntary open time. And we don't have enough pilots that uh, are actually uh, legal to do this. So Scott touched on it, but I wanted to uh, reiterate that there were supposed to be four classes um, for upgrade in May, and they canceled the first one and kept the second, third, and fourth. All of those guys are not going to be done with their training. Uh, obviously, by the time they start their first line as a captain, which would have been in June, a lot of them were awarded um, weekend reserve. So all of that reserve got pulled off their schedule. So that's diminished your your coverage besides your open time bidders going into June. And adding on to that problem, they're currently experiencing delays in getting the uh, UOEs done of two to three weeks or sometimes more. So it just leads to additional pulls. So Dan, how does attrition weigh into this as far as the lack of pilots? Well, as you may or may not know, they've been polling pilots CC basically as soon as they drop their letter that they're going to be leaving Southwest. So obviously that creates uh, quite a bit of uncover flying. That with the fact that now the training center has to train another FO to take that person's place is just creating more demand on the system. I've been tracking that really closely because they started this new process of the the pulling all the flying CC, I think about two months ago. And it was in March when we really started to see that upward trend of attrition. So, I mean, we've already doubled what we lost last year, but you're seeing anywhere between 15 to um, like, I think I saw upwards of 29 duty periods and wraps pulled from a pilot because he happened to get his next month's line and then put in his resignation. So he had all of the current month and then or I'm sorry, most of the current month and then all of the next month. So that, that's a lot of work days that are getting pulled. So can you guys explain the June move-ups? As we mentioned in the intro, there's quite a few of them. Why is that happening? 
Uh, frankly, we were kind of surprised by that, um, especially since we were told that uh, they were canceling an upgrade class in May uh, due to an instructor shortage. Um, we're now hearing that uh, there's instructor and check airman training that needs to be done in the fourth quarter that they're trying to make room for. Uh, obviously, that's fine, but when you move up so many people into from August and September, which are traditionally a little bit lower flying months into a heavy flying month when we're already ramping up uh, to have like our, our busiest month uh, since the pandemic, uh, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to be pulling all those people off of the line. There probably was a better way to, to handle that. There's also a customer service component there that we were discussing internally. So you have 892 people that you notify you're moving them up, you lock their schedules up, and then they actually only moved up 799. So, you know, roughly 100 people who got locked for their June schedule from trading. And now they're going to end up getting locked again in July. And unfortunately, a lot of these pilots also had vacation in those months too. So it leads to uh, unfortunately disrupting family plans and, and a lot of unhappy pilots. Again, just kind of poor customer service. Yeah, much longer lead time for any kind of move ups would would certainly help out with that. When you, when you find out literally the week before you're bidding your line for that month, uh, it doesn't give you a whole lot of time to change your plans. Help me out with this, Scott, because I think from a basic pilot perspective, you know, we have ten thousand pilots, and let's say they don't use the last two months because of instructors and check airman training in November, December. But we have 10,000 guys. So that's basically 1,000 guys a month over 10 months. Why not just have it flow right out like that? That seems to make sense to at least most of us, I think, just line guys. Why do we get into this feast and famine mode? Well, the feast and famine of it is that, you know, our actual schedule, you know, the reason why we actually have pilots is to go fly airplanes and execute that block time. So when you have an increase in that block time over spring break, summer, and holidays, it's really probably not an ideal time to be having just a flat track of training scheduling. You certainly should be trying to manage that uh, a little bit better to do more of your training during the down months. But right now, it seems like every single month, it's like a surprise that we have training capacity and we need to fill it. So let's fill it as fast as we can. And it, it's not really translating well over to actually executing the line schedule. Is there a reason why they can't schedule training out a little bit further than they currently do? Amy, one of the issues may be something we've learned in the room is they kind of think of CQT as they've described as sand among the pillars. In other words, CQT is something just kind of to fill in around the other events they have to do, like initial and upgrade training, that sort of thing. But the fact that it touches every single pilot here at Southwest, we feel like it should be more of a priority than it is, at least on par with those other training events. Do other carriers plan for training further out than we do? Well, the other carriers have a training bid, which is obviously something that is in our proposal for contract 2020. When you have the training bid, then pilots first will bid for that training according to their seniority, which is something, of course, pilots all understand. And then you'll know that conflict ahead of time before you bid your line, so you won't have these same issues we're having today. And then we'll also have a process that if they need pilots to be moved up, it'll be a voluntary process, so we'll avoid these, these massive uh, move-ups and move-backs. I'll add to, um, you know, just reflecting on Southwest and many of the processes, there's almost this death by flexibility since they only fly one type of aircraft, whereas other carriers have 
multiple fleet types that they have to balance and plan for. So they do get a little bit further ahead by not having that complexity. Uh, it almost ends up being shooting themselves in the foot at times of, of holding on to it and making last minute decisions. And while we appreciate the efficiency of, uh, of trying to utilize all of your training capacity, it, it basically seems like it's coming down to um, one silo versus another. There is some communication between, you know, the scheduling and planning and training. Uh, it just seems like it's all, you know, last minute crisis management as opposed to more holistic um, approach to it. Many of the other carriers don't have a vacancy bid every month. They have it every three months or six months or even once a year. And that allows them to plan out the entire year for upgrades and new equipment and also, you know, where their CQT needs would be. So I, I think there's a little bit of, of that where we're trying to be so flexible with our manning amongst the domiciles that, you know, we kind of lose track of, um, of how to keep the whole training picture aligned with what our actual needs are for flying block hours seasonally. Scott, are you saying that the SRC and or SWAPA is advocating for fewer vacancy bids? It's not something that we're advocating for. I just think it, it just adds to the flexibility point that Megan was making that we have so much flexibility in all of our processes, which can be a really good thing, but it seems like that flexibility is being used at a very micro level and, and there isn't as much of an overall plan on, on how to handle that. I would think this flexibility that they're utilizing too, I would add, they're not thinking about the end result and how it affects a pilot's quality of life. For example, they moved up 892 pilots into June. Why they always know they have the training for Czech Airmen instructors in fourth quarter. Why is it that just literally a week before we bid our lines for June, that is when you're actually notifying pilots over a th almost a thousand pilots that they're being changed by two or three months. You would think you could have planned that out months in advance. If you move the people up from June into May and April, well, then you knew you were going to be moving other people up from August and September. Why can't you have a plan for that and, and have that articulated at least to our pilots from a customer service standpoint months in advance? which again leads us to believe that either there isn't very much of an overall plan or they, they just don't really care about our pilots' quality of life and managing their own personal lives. Well, and we, we looked at the breakdown of those move-ups and over 100 of them came out of September into June. And that just has you scratching your head when September's a, a low month. You, you would think that you'd want to actually maybe move people from June to September um, to to better allocate your resources. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So if the company's doing all these moves up into June, can we expect move ups to continue on into July and August and for the rest of the year? That's actually a, a great question, Kurt. You would think that, again, there would be a plan and they could articulate how many and who is being moved up months in advance now that we already know what's happening for June. We haven't gotten any information about our, that. Our pilots haven't gotten any information about that. It doesn't look like there's much of a plan, in other words. One thing that we've mentioned several times in the past is concerns for a meltdown. Do you guys actually see that there's a possibility for a meltdown in June? 
But I will say, I don't think we're going to see a passenger side meltdown the way that we saw um, in December of 2022. Uh, but we definitely are, are looking at seeing a reassignment in JA problem uh, amongst uh, you know, pilots and in particular, uh, simply because, yes, we have denser schedules, which makes it harder for pilots to make their adjustments ahead of time to fit their own personal schedules. And then also with denser hard lines and then a lot of reserve, um, those pilots just don't have as much legality to pick up uh, as they as they could uh, had they had less dense schedules or less reserve. So when do you think we'll likely see that JA that you were referring to? Well, I'll tell you that I was watching the uh, the open time because um, you always see um, before ELIT opens and then after there's some shuffling, you know, of where the uncovered flying is. And um, even after all the trading that went um, that went down yesterday, uh, there's still a lot of open time that first weekend of June. So, I mean, I think you could see JA as, as soon as then. Which is interesting, you know, not to take this too far into our contract negotiations, but we are trying to get, you know, trip trade and ELIT across bid periods, certainly with, uh, you know, duties to cover or some kind of metric like that. Um, it would be a one-way trade, but it'd be one way improving the situation, getting trips off of those really high, uh, you know, high need days and, and moving them elsewhere. So, helping smooth out that demand and uh, getting rid of the, the possibility of having excess of reassignments and uh, you know running out of volunteers to, to cover that flying and having the JA. And so I just want to reiterate what you said earlier. You said that they were pulling a lot of the upgrade captain flying, which is weekend reserve. So they're basically overloading the weekends with reserve. And so by pulling all of the guys that have the weekend reserve as the upgrade guys, they're basically doing it to themselves. They're reducing their coverage when they think they need it the most. And that's got to factor into next month's problems. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, you know, looking at the open time, I saw over a thousand reserve blocks right now that are just sitting out there in open time. And I highly doubt any of those are going to get awarded. You don't have the coverage that, that you thought you were going to have. You can start to see it right now, Kurt. If you just go into open time, even for this weekend, you can see all the reserve blocks that are in there. And obviously nobody's bidding on those. And like you said, with the captains, they tend to be the junior captains that get reserved. So a lot of these are reserve blocks pulled. When you have the attrition and those CC bars, it could be if they quit in their first month, it could be pairings that are pulled. Or if it's second, third, fourth month could be reserve blocks. You're getting a little bit of both. I will say that it's long been an SRC recommendation to reduce uh, your reserve manning. And certainly that doesn't help in a situation where you're pulling so much of the junior flying from both the captain and the FO side. So we just want to make the point that overall, that's what our, our recommendation is, but it's also to create more flexibility with you know less dense hard lines or the ability to cover things with the blank lines. We were advocating for less reserve manning, yes, but maybe we need to be more specific and, and say less or more general and say less contingency manning. Uh, we really would like to see that manning moved into the hard lines, not moved into the blank lines, but they probably fe felt like they needed to do that since they moved so many people uh, into training in June. So all of the flying makes it more dense in the hard lines and we have too much contingency. So... Why is that? Or, or I guess what I'm asking is, how is it distributed, basically? So when crew planning, you know, make their decisions about their manning, when they decide that they want 
say 20% reserve and 20% blank, which is about what we saw roughly, that then reduces how much manning they're then going to allow to optimize into pairings and lines. So your optimizer is limited in how it's going to build out the pairings and lines because um, it's got that limited number of manning that it's being allowed to optimize to. And so it's because they have to fill all the first round hard lines with all the available pairings, right? Like Megan's saying is exactly correct. They decide how much reserve manning they want, probably based on some numbers from the past. And then they have to, then they figure out how much contingency that manning they need in the form of blank lines. And looking to figure out those are looking at vacation that's going to be pulled and also training. So in other words, you're looking at, you're deciding in reserve, you're deciding in blank lines, and then the leftovers are seem to be going to the hard lines. Which goes back to our point that why would you have, why would you plan on having an equal amount of training during the months that you actually need the most flying accomplished? You're kind of, you're, you're causing the most, um, the most issues in getting that, the actual flying covered, which is really what we're here for. So in that in that blog that we ran, so just as a, an additional point, um, we did an analysis of June year over year of the active pilots against the amount of block that was being flown, and we're roughly in that 2018-2019 level of, of block, and we have 300 more active pilots than we did back then. So it, it just doesn't really add up on why we're not allowing this optimizer process to, to build more hard lines. You said it was because of training, but also because of vacation. So what does that vacation comparison look like, say, to June versus other months or June and previous years? Well, there is a, about an equal amount of uh, June vacation uh, as there is in other months of the year, just based on you know how that gets distributed in, in the lines. But what we have seen you know, since the pandemic, we had VSP which uh, had a lot of, uh, you know, five-week captains, you know, five vacation week captains retiring early. And now we're hiring a whole lot of new hires that have two weeks of vacation. So if you look back compared to 2018, uh, we actually have less vacation days per pilot, you know, per active pilot than we did even back in 2018. So again, we have actually 300 more pilots available they have less vacation, why is it that we can't utilize them uh, in a more productive manner? One of the other things that we talked about earlier was attrition. We get our data on attrition from the SRC. Does the company still argue over those attrition numbers? Short answer is no. Um, we've had some back and forth on comparing because Southwest, um, their, their data is painful to work with, honestly. And so we've had to fine-tune how we're tracking this and I look at every single one of these guys and I've had to make multiple changes to the way we we capture attrition uh, in response to changes to processes on Southwest side um, but once we were able to hash out um, like how do you source that there's not a disagreement anymore but the way that they present information is it, it's like they change the way they present it every time so then it skews the number like how many uh, left in the middle of training, how many left, um, you know, when they're before their IOE, how many left after their IOE, and then they don't look forward. So, I mean, we've got nine guys who've already have a resignation date for June, and they don't look at those. 
they don't track that in their tallies that they present to management, or at least from what they've shown us. I assume that's the same stuff that they're presenting to management. And that's where you have holes um, that just don't make sense. What's ironic is that when we actually ask the people that run the data, uh, we actually agree on the attrition numbers, whatever form it, it might be in. But we do hear a lot of feedback from the training center leadership briefs for CQT and upgrade classes that uh, a lot of them still don't believe our numbers or they just try to minimize it, you know. And that just leaves everyone with the impression that the message within flight ops is still that there isn't a problem with attrition. It's unfortunate because as you see it, it, it uncovers an awful lot of flying. It utilizes a lot of training resources that could be better used for other things. And uh, it also prevents us from, you know, actually growing our pilot group and expanding the operation. And one of the other comments that have come out of, um, you know, those leadership briefs is that, um, a lot of these new hires are just using Southwest to um, to wash their resume, so to speak, uh, to then transition over to Delta, uh, the SkyWest folks. And um, you hear that and you blame your attrition on that and that, you know, a new contract's not going to slow down the attrition. But at the end of the day, they're, they're still wasting, like Scott said, they're still wasting training capacity. So I, I don't understand why that's still a talking point um, that you don't want to go try to improve? A lot of our pilots have asked the question, uh, so we know who leaves early, but is SWAPA able to track the pilots who just don't show up to class? Do we get that data? Not holistically, no. Um, when when Southwest moved to Workday, we have started to see um, employee numbers come through before they start, which never used to be the case, but it's not consistent. So we just don't have like a solid data feed to know exactly how many people said yes, and then didn't show up. I will tell you, Kurt, when the new hires come over to SWAPA for the uh, beer and pizza night to talk to them, we do take kind of a, just a straw poll of how many pilots were moved up from a, a future class. I know it's anecdotal, but it's usually quite a few that were moved up. So uh, there probably were quite a few that didn't show up and they had to call people to, to move them up to fill those slots, but we don't have the exact numbers. Let's go ahead and move on to negotiations while you're here. Let's talk about uh, what you guys are seeing in the room. We finally started getting to a lot of the work rules sections. Um, we've recently been working in reserve and uh, schedule adjustments, which were trip trade giveaway and ELIT. And uh, we'll be moving into the, the major sections of, of planning and uh, hopefully our new execution section here in the next few weeks. We have been making progress in those, uh, you know, some concepts like release to check-in, you know, proffering for assignments, you know, reserves being able to choose pairings. Um, those things are getting a lot of traction, but we still have uh, some ways to go on getting released at the end of your pairing uh, when on reserve and uh, some other uh, deadhead, deadhead release topics. I will say, Amy, that like Scott said, we, we definitely have made some progress in reserve, but that was obviously probably the easiest of the, of the scheduling sections to tackle. It's basically one-to-one -one where we still have a major issue, though, is we're, we're still working off of two different set, sets of sections. In other words, they want to work off current book, and we're obviously working off our rewrite. Yeah, we, we did all the heavy lifting of the blending of the documents. So now that that part is over with, it's going to be a lot easier to get through. We're seeing a lot of our language get um, AIPs on it. Um, but that should have happened two years ago. It shouldn't just now be happening. Having two different documents was a, a, a huge issue. And um, 
we we saw that as a big issue. So we've we've tried twice now the past two sessions to bridge that gap. You know, we've moved their language into our language wholesale. They didn't agree to that language. Uh, so we actually had to make up a crazy term, no disagreement instead of AIP, just so to note that, you know, that concept was good. And then in the last session, we actually moved all of our language into their language. So we've been doing double duty here. Um, and because it was in their language, the mediator, um, you know, basically said it, it's time to negotiate. And uh, so we finally did start getting AIPs in the reserve and the adjustment sections. But that was an awful lot of work done by, uh, by Dan and Megan, mostly Megan, moving that language over. So what's your take on the product? Uh, do you think that it's going to be a quality product? Do you think it's going to be an improvement over what we have today? Or do you think that the company's managed to water down our proposals enough or our language enough that it won't help going forward to address some of the inconsistencies that we have in our current language? Well, I spent a lot of time in the reserve and Dan can can vouch for this, that it is so difficult to find things in the way the current book reads on reserve. And it's not in an order that's very logical. And we we took that very um, seriously when we drafted this rewrite on making sure that from beginning to end, it makes sense on the flow, on the chronology of material. And um, we bulleted a lot more, broke out like these dense paragraphs to make it easy to read. Uh, I'll say as a former crew scheduler, when you think about being on a phone with a pilot and trying to navigate a, a document and your pilot's walking between gates, he's on a jet bridge, he's trying to interpret and um, and receive language over the phone with a scheduler, it needs to be easy to navigate and it needs to be easy to understand. Um, it needs to be rid of ambiguity so that that conversation just goes better and everybody's on the same page on what something means. Uh, I think that we've accomplished that. We're definitely accomplishing, you know, one of the major reasons behind the rewrite is that we're going over the intent of every single line. Um, we need to have agreement on what the intent is uh, from date of ratification forward, not, you know, worrying about what was said in a parking lot in 1994 that nobody is around that really knows what actually happened. Okay, so let me ask you this. How would the summer be handled differently if we were using the contract 2020 um, execution rules? It really, it's not just execution. I mean, we've been saying from day one that this this rewrites a it's holistic, right? So it starts with the plan and ends with the execution. So if we were under the framework of contract 2020, the way they'd be planning the schedule would be different, which would then enable execution to go more smoothly. And then we we had a number of proposals for voluntary means of, of covering disruption. So it would be it would be a completely different paradigm of just how everything was being managed. Introducing more volunteers into the system or, you know, you know, starts with, you know, pilots having a flexible schedule to begin with. So that, that starts with having, having less dense hard lines, having greater ability to make trades. And that also comes with having shorter pairings. There are certainly easier to trade. And then it also gets into, well, what are your opportunities to volunteer? So, um, you know, especially when it's summer or holidays, you know, it, it's harder to get somebody motivated to come out and give their day off. So, you know, introducing uh, premium before splits or targeted 
premium before they assign reserves, you know, when, when appropriate, um, you know, right now the company tends to just do a blanket, Hey, everybody gets premium. Well, if it was more targeted to the base and seat that actually needed it, that need, didn't have the reserve coverage and making it more predictable for pilots to know instead of bidding on it. And then, Oh, I didn't get it. They used up all the reserves. Well, now they find something else to do and they don't bid on the stuff that happens closer in. Adding stuff like a voluntary double time uh, or last resort flying, which is actually uh, coming out this next month. Um, those kind of things just help stimulate the market, whether it's uh, increasing you know, the amount of compensation to incentivize coming out. Um, Honestly, for voluntary double time, if you're going to be paying JA anyway as your next step, then what's the harm of doing voluntary double time? Uh, I think one of the biggest impacts would, would have been that we took irregular operations out of the rewrite completely. It's not a term used anywhere. And a lot of that is we've lost major arbitrations that have um, enabled some bad behavior in the handling of pilot scheduling. And by not having that that phrase in there, all your intent around a, a lot of the processes now shifts away from being able to do the things that they do today. And so what do you think is the likelihood that they're going to agree to that? Or how do we at least convince them to agree to that? Well, that's the tough thing. You know, we still haven't even had a meaningful discussion about what happened over Christmas. Um, I, I don't think they realize what, that they actually need that. They need, they need more rule sets that don't allow them, again, that flexibility that just shoots themselves in the foot over and over again. And instead of just having a blank check to do whatever they want with reassignments, we'll have a clear-cut process with what to do with uncovered flying. There just needs to be more of the checks and balances between what scheduling can do to pilots versus you know, quality of life of the pilot themselves and actually the ability to operate, whether it's how long your duty day is, you know, what kind of deadhead release you can have, whether you actually do get J8 into an RON or not. There, there needs to be a lot more hard and set rules uh, about those processes so that everybody's expectations are, uh, are better managed and better met um, for how they expect the summer to go. Thank you to the SRC for taking the time to talk to us today. They've certainly been busy handling a lot of the work, analyzing our current schedule, and working on contract 2020 negotiations. As always, we'd like your feedback. If you have any podcast ideas we have yet to cover or any subject matter experts you'd like to hear from, please let us know at com at swapa.org. And finally, today's bonus number is 360. That's the percentage of average daily deadhead inflation when compared to executed versus what was planned. Some level of increase is inevitable between contractual splits of open time and schedule recovery, but that doesn't equate to over three times the planned number, even on sunny days. That number is just way too high and will certainly get larger as the summer continues to be challenging for our operation. South 1598, only one tree, Tetra Clearland. Tetra Clearland, South 1598.